take your Bibles, if you brought them with you, and turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 22. Proverbs, chapter 22. I was uh, thinking about uh, the series that we're in called Destinations, about how do we get to where we want to get to in life? How do we end up where we desire to be? And I was thinking about that this morning in light of a conversation I had last night. This past uh, couple of days, the family and I have taken an opportunity to go on a short vacation. We looked at our uh, schedule from now until school starts and with birthday parties and 4th of July and uh, going to Brazil and all of that, the only weekend we had available was this weekend. And so on Thursday evening, Susan said, we need to find something to do. What do you want to do? And we looked around. And in Huntsville at the Space and Science uh, Museum, they have a Star Wars exhibit that started on Friday. Our boys are into Star Wars, and so we said we can do that. Huntsville's not that far away. So we got in a car, and on Friday around lunchtime we left, and we got back about 4 o'clock yesterday. So it was a short trip. Well, after we got back, we were unpacking, and we threw together a gourmet supper of some uh, dinosaur frozen chicken nuggets and uh, instant mashed potatoes and warmed up leftover green beans, you know, the stuff of champions there. And we were eating around the table, and uh, it ended up being just Eli and I at the table. I I don't know if it's just uh, my children, but our children have uh, attention deficit disorder when it comes to eating at the supper table, that any opportunity to get up and run around for a minute or do anything they take. And so somehow it ended up with just Eli and I there, and we had a very in-depth conversation. We got to talking. I don't remember what we got to talking about, but Eli, just out of the midst of it, said, Daddy, I want to have a good life. And I said, well, I want that too, Eli. What would a good life be for you? And from a seven-year-old's mind, the first thing that came out was, well, Daddy, a good life would be for me to get the Legos that I want. Uh, Okay, that's good. Anything else? He said, and I want to go into space someday. And for Eli, that's all that a good life consists of. Get some Legos, go into space. And so we talked about that a little bit. And he said, there's some other things I just can't think of right now. I said, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write them down. Because when I was your age, I wanted to be an astronaut. And I know that came out of we had just been at the Space and Air Museum. And he had seen the rockets and the astronauts. I wanted to be an astronaut, a professional baseball, and football player. I saw no reason in the world I could not do all three at the same time. I said, here's the thing. I want you to write them down because those may change. He said, you mean you didn't always want to be a preacher? I said, absolutely not. When I was your age, the last thing in the world I wanted to be was a preacher. But God sometimes changes our plans. So I started to think about Eli. And I had one of those parent moments that we have sometimes and looked at him and I thought, I wonder what his life is going to be like. And I began to think about what it's going to be like when he grows up and when he has a family and what job he will have. And and I know all of that is in the Lord's hand. I'm trusting that. But the thing that I was assured of in my mind, that whatever he desires to be or feel God's called him to be or wants to go after in life, that there will be obstacles and difficulties that arise in his life. Last week we talked about a, a simple principle, and it was just simply this, that our direction determines our destination. Our direction determines our destination. And for the most part, that's true, but it's a little simplistic. Remember last week we talked, those of you who hear about golfing, remember that? 
And that when I stand over a golf ball, my desire is to hit the golf ball to the hole, towards the flag. I see it. That's where I want it to go. That's where I desire for it to go. That's where uh, I intend for it to go. And that more often than not, the ball does not go where I intend for it to go. And I said that the ball will end up whatever path I've put it on. And that's most of the time true. But occasionally, there are trees in the way. Right? You may hear, how many of you play golf before? How many of you hit a tree while playing golf before? Yeah, hands are still up, right? There are times when I hit a beautiful shot that's going right where I want it to go, and a tree somehow appears in the middle and knocks it off course, right? Sometimes this happens more with with my game because I hit the ball so well. This happens a lot, apparently. The wind comes up and blows it where it's not supposed to go. There are things that interact, right? And in life, we do set a destination by our direction, but there are moments when trouble, difficulty, obstacles will come. And in Proverbs chapter 22, we're going to look at one verse today. I'll reference the verses around it, but verse 22, I mean chapter 22, verse 3. I know on your handout it says a different passage, right? It says Proverbs what? 27. Here's the thing. It's the exact same verse in two different places. And I like what it says around it in chapter 22, and so that's why we're going to be there. But here's the thing that you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to, to, to have been to seminary to understand this. If the Bible repeats the exact same saying, it's probably pretty important. Here's what it says in chapter 22, verse 3. A prudent man sees danger and takes refuge. But the simple keep going and suffer for it. The prudent see danger and take refuge. But the simple keep going and suffer for it. Last week I gave you one thought in my mind that I wanted you to hold on to, and it was simply that, what we've already said, that your direction determines your destination. This is the one thought that I want for you to leave with today. Because as you're moving towards your destination, what you must be able to do is to see danger and take refuge. In fact, I want to kind of drill that into you. So we're going to say this verse together a couple of times because I want you to remember it, all right? So say it with me. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Let's say just the first part again. The prudent see danger and take refuge. Now, there are two kinds of people in this verse, right? There's the prudent. Now, that's a word we don't use very often, right? What does prudent mean? Wise. The wise, the one who knows how to live, sees the danger and does something about it. This is the person that evaluates everything within the context of what's going on in my life that realizes that my future hopes and dreams can be shaped or changed by decisions that I make right now. It's a person that knows that one thing leads to another, that no action or decision is in isolation from the rest of your life, that all of life is connected. Now, what's the other kind of person here? It's the, not the prudent, but the simple, right? Now, what differentiates, what makes different the prudent from the simple isn't necessarily that they see or hear or know about danger. What does it say? 
The prudent see the danger and they do what? They take refuge. It doesn't say the simple don't see it. It says they just keep going. The idea behind this passage is literally that both see the danger, it's just the prudent that do something about it. Now, none of us in this room would like to be called simple, right? Simple means naive. It means unlearned. It means not making good decisions. Remember last week we talked about the young man that um, Solomon saw from his window, and he called him what? Simple. He called him naive, and none of us want to be that. But here's the truth. Any time in our life that we see danger and we do nothing about it, we are simple. Right? That's what Scripture says. Anytime we see danger, we do nothing about it. It's kind of like the uh, the guy that's in a raft, and he's on an unknown uh, part of the river, and he hears the sounds of a waterfall up ahead, and he says, oh, I'll just deal with it when I get there. Right? That man is simple. I'll give you an illustration from uh, my life. Uh, recently, um, we had... Uh, Susan and the boys had gone to, to Jackson to see her dad before we went to Brazil, and I was going to mow the yard. And I have a uh, state-of-the-art 1960-something snapper mower. How many of you have seen the movie Forrest Gump? You've seen the movie Forrest Gump? You know when he mows the yard on the football field, he's got the That's what I have at my house, all right? It's a classic. If it was, uh, It's probably worth a lot of money if it was in much better shape than it is now. But I use it, I mow with it, and it is an amazing little tool to, to, to mow the yard. My yard has uh, some obstacles in it. Um, there are trees um, in the backyard. The, uh, the yard, as many homes around here, it seems pretty flat for a moment, and then it goes straight down, and so you have to navigate that. But the most difficult obstacle in my yard to navigate is the swing set. And I'm a guy. And I believe that I can get around any obstacle like that, okay? And so this is my typical thing that I like to do is that I get the mower going straight at the swing set, and I start going towards it. I take one hand to keep on, because always keep one hand on the steering mechanism, right? One hand there. I take my right hand, and I fling the swing up in the air and then drive underneath it, right? Now, it's a complicated process, and it takes great skill and agility and athletic ability to be able to pull off the swinging swing and then to turn at the right moment. Well, this past uh, week, uh, Susan and the boys were out of town. Uh, Maddie was out of town. We were, so I, I was at the house by myself. It was I tried to mow when it was 112 degrees, not 120 degrees outside, let it cool off a little bit. And one of the last things I had to do was get under the swing set. And Getting under the swing set's pretty easy on the first two swings because they're the normal swings. But then we have the teeter-totter, seesaw swing. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, That's a little more difficult to throw up in the air, but I've become pretty good at it. And so I started on my approach. And as I got into my approach and got closer, I realized that I had forgotten to downshift. See, I had the snapper going at full speed on five, right? There, there's one, two, three, four, five. I was on five, full speed, because I can do that most of the yard. But I had forgotten to downshift to about three to make the pass safely. At that moment, I had an option. 
it has a good braking system, I could push the brake. Or I could continue on. And I continued on. I threw the seesaw teeter-totter thing up in the air and did not get as much velocity on it as I would like. And as soon as I got right underneath it, it came crashing down on my head and leg somehow at the same time. Now, the issue I have there is luckily it did not wrap around the mower. It didn't do any of that. The issue I have now is I must make the right-hand turn immediately after passing or I run the risk of running into the flower bed slash stairs slash house, any of that combination. And at that moment, I was a little dazed, right? Anybody experience that? You get hit in the head, what happens? You, you lose kind of what's going on around you. I mean, you've been hit in the head before. Yeah, I can tell that, yeah. Um, and so I knew that was happening. And so I, I did not quite make the turn. Luckily, I had the presence of mind at the last moment to slam on the brakes. Here's my point. When I realized I was going too fast, I should have stopped, taken refuge. Instead, I kept going and suffered for it, right? At that moment, I was simple. The point here is easy for us to see. We ought to be able to identify danger and take refuge. It's much easier, just like last week we talked about this, to do that in other people than it is to do it in your own life. There are times as a pastor when people come and talk to me and they've gotten themselves in a mess or a mess has occurred or, or something has happened. And one of the first things that I always think about is this. I always think, did you see it coming? Could you have known? Did someone try to warn you? And nine times out of ten, if people are honest with themselves, they should have seen it coming. And the Bible says that the prudent, the wise, they see it and they take refuge. But the simple keep going and suffer. Take a piece of paper or your bulletin or something or your finger and keep it at Proverbs 22 because we're going to come back there in a minute. And I want you to turn with me all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12. Because we're going to see somebody that should have known better. Genesis chapter 12. Somebody that's there. Tell me who's the main character in this story here. Abram, right? Not even Abraham yet. This is Abram. This is early on. Genesis 12 is the beginning of a time when, uh, when God's people are beginning to grow and multiply. And God is going to use Abram to bring a great nation to the earth. And so he calls Abram to leave where he's living and to go to a new place. Well, in chapter 12, verse 10, it tells us that Abram gets up towards the Negev. He finds where he's supposed to be. And as soon as he begins on this journey with God, an obstacle, a tree, a problem, a detour steps in the way. Verse 10 says there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there. Now, just a little Bible note for you. In the Bible, almost always when it says someone went down to somewhere, it is not a good thing. And so Abram, it tells us nowhere that he was commanded to go. It tells us nowhere that God told him to go. In fact, what we see here is when Abram got in trouble, when he saw difficulty on the horizon, he tried to take care of it himself instead of trusting in the Lord. Well, it says in verse 11, as he was about to enter Egypt, he looked at his wife Sarah and says, you are a beautiful woman. Doesn't that sound sweet? 
you're just gorgeous. You, you, you're, you're, it's hard for me to even look at you. You're so beautiful. Verse 12. And when they see you, they're going to kill me because you are so good looking. Now, that is what you call a backhanded compliment. All right? Because Abram says, they see you, they're going to want to kill me because they're going to want you so. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go into Egypt and we're going to tell everybody that you're not my wife, you're my sister. Now, is that wise? No. Is that the right thing to do? No. But Abram thinks, I can take care of this situation ahead. I can take refuge in solving it myself. And so he gets together, verse 14, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians said she was beautiful. And when the Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and said, you have got to see this woman. So she's taken to the palace. He treated Abraham well, gave Abraham sheep and cattle, male and female, men servants, maid servants, and camels. So who came out good in this situation? Abram, so far. Verse 17, the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household. Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So I took her to be my wife. Now here's your wife. Take her and go. He gave orders to Abram, and they sent him on his way with all that he had. Now here's the point. Abram comes to a place where he sees difficulty on the horizon. Instead of trusting in the Lord, instead of trusting in what God will do, he begins to rely on himself. And that when we lose a sense of trusting in the Lord and we rely on ourselves, we get ourselves in trouble. We mess it up. So Abram does that in chapter 12. All's good. He begins to follow the Lord again. He would never do that again, right? Turn to chapter 20. Genesis 20, verse 1. Now, Abraham, notice it's Abraham, now it's not Abram. God's reaffirmed a promise, given him the name that he will be the father of many, moved on from there into the region of Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife, notice he doesn't compliment her anymore, he just decides to say it, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah, and took her. Go back to Proverbs 22. Here's the thing about that. We have one of the greatest heroes in all of Scripture that twice has a difficult problem and he solves it by being self-reliant instead of taking refuge. You see, when we see take refuge, one of the first things that we like to think about is, oh, that means we need to take action, we need to do something, which is true. But chapter 22 in the book of Proverbs tells us the place that we take refuge is in the Lord God, our Maker. Look at verse 1 of chapter 22. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. It says it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, how much you have or don't. The Lord is the Maker of them all. Verse 3, a prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. The point of verse 3 is this. When you see trouble on the horizon, you seek the Lord, you search Him out, and you take refuge in Him and whatever He asks you to do. And when you do that, you'll avoid it. So let's talk about a couple of application principles. 
Let's talk about relationships. The truth is that relationships are not stable things. And when I stay stable, I don't mean that they're not healthy. I mean that they never stay where they are. Relationships are ever-growing, ever-evolving, ever-changing. And the important thing in a relationship is not to evaluate where you are, but where you are going. Say that again. The important thing in a relationship is not to evaluate where you are, but where you are going. If you continue on the pace and the, and the plan that you're on, where will you end up? You see, relationships are either getting healthier or unhealthier. They're either growing or they're dying. If you started your relationship at A and you're at level B, then you ought to be able to see where your future would go. Now, the prudent person can see if difficulties are on the horizon and responds to where your relationship is. Examples. If you're in a marriage, and over the last few months or weeks or years, you just feel things are changing, or you're not communicating like you once did, or or you're having more disagreements than you once did, and it's getting more difficult in your work. And, And one of the, your partner, perhaps your spouse says to you, you know what, I think it would be good for us to go see someone about this. Here's the thing. If someone in the relationship ever says that, then you need to go see someone about it. If you're married and you start to notice that that you enjoy the company of someone of the opposite sex, you begin to want to be around them, then you need to ask yourself, where is it going? And do something about it. If you're single and the person that you're with is not necessarily a person that you could see yourself with long term, then you ask the question, where is this going? Parents, grandparents, you have to notice patterns in your children's friends and relationships. One of the most dangerous phrases that can be uttered by a parent is, it's just a phase. You ever heard that? It's just a phase. The truth is, a phase can turn into a habit, which turns into a lifestyle. And so there are no just phases in life. Now, that doesn't mean that wrong decisions aren't going to be made, but we as parents, as grandparents, as uh, people that are helping to shepherd the next generation must be intentional about helping them to see when decisions need to be changed. I've said this before, but one of the greatest things my parents ever did for me was they chose who I was friends with. They made it a point to put me in situations where I would be friends with people who eventually would help me to go in the way that I needed to go. My dad uh, was a, a baseball coach growing up. He was the manager. He drafted every year, and he would tell me years later. I always said, you know, when I looked at my wedding and, and I played Little League baseball, and, and six of the guys in my wedding were play, guys that played on my Little League baseball team. And I just said, you know, we were friends for, for out school and still friends today. And I said, Dad, how did you just happen to get all those guys on the same team? And he said, Lyle, I never drafted players. I drafted parents and friends for you. And my dad and mom were intentional about putting me in places where I would meet and be around the same kind of people. As parents, part of our responsibility is to help to see the patterns that our children are developing and to help to steer them in the way that's right. Money. Debt's not an event. It's a path. It's something that you go on. You, 
have to look at your spending habits and all of those things and ask, are there trouble coming? Do I need to take care of something? If you have spending habits that don't give you to give, if you have giving habits that, that, that are problematic, you need to always look at them. And so verse 3, the first part of that, where a prudent man sees danger, the first part is to be able to recognize that danger that's out there. The second part says, and takes refuge. The truth is, if we're going to do what God's called us to do, we must act. And we must act in ways that are big. They are acting in ways that are sacrificed. It may cause us to sacrifice relationships or reputation or resources. It will probably cause embarrassment. Anybody remember a guy named Noah? You remember Noah? Just shake your head. I know you do. You're here, right? Noah, everybody kind of knows him. Noah, what did he do? He built a, an ark, right? Why did he build an ark? Because God told him to build an ark. Why did God tell him to build an ark? Because it was going to rain, right? How many days did it rain before Noah built the ark? None. That's what it tells us in the New Testament, that rain had not yet happened. And so God says, this thing that has never happened, I'm going to make happen to the point that it will flood the earth. And so go build a boat. Anybody remember how long it took Noah to build the boat? Like a week or two? Years. Years. As many years as many of us will be alive. Okay? So just think about this. Noah goes out. He builds a, he builds a boat. Why are you building a boat, Noah? Well, because I know something's going to happen in the future. And God's going to cause rain to fall on the ground. And when the rain falls, the only people that are going to be saved are going to be in this boat. What is rain, Noah? Well, it's when water falls from the sky. Well, has that ever happened before? No, but it will. You think they thought he was crazy? Yeah. I can imagine at the town hall meetings, all the people talking about the town lunatic, Noah. Right? He's nuts. He's crazy. Have you seen it? He's building that boat. But he was doing what God had called him to do. You see, when you take action that God calls you to do, there will be embarrassment and ridicule because you are acting on what is to come, not what is. And so what we have in verse 22, it says, or chapter 22, verse 3, is that we see the danger and we take action. Here's the prayer I want you to think about praying out of this message this morning. It's basically praying the outcome of that. And that is the Lord... Help me see trouble coming a long way off. Give me the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it. Help me to see the problems. Help me to know what to do and then give me the courage to do it. Here's the thing. There are some of you in this room right now that have trouble on the horizon. And I ask you this question. What warning signs are you avoiding in your life right now? What warning signs are you avoiding in your life right now that's taking you down a path that you don't need to go? And here's the thing. When you realize whatever warning signs there are, what the trouble is, you need to do something about it, something godly about it. Take refuge in the Lord. And for some of you, that will be extreme things you need to do. I mean, Noah got asked to build an ark. You may be asked to break up or to quit or to get rid of someone at work or to change your number or to move or to sell the house or to get rid of your Internet or to cut your credit cards up or to go see a counselor. God may be asking you to do major things in order to take refuge in Him. The truth is the problem with this passage is this. In life, there are generally moments when decisions can help change your course 
But there are some moments when it's too late. And you have to bear the consequences of it. My lawnmower story. There was a moment when I could have changed my course. But there became a moment when it was too late. There's some of you in this room that are headed towards a waterfall, that are headed towards a major moment in your life. And God's giving you one opportunity this morning to take refuge and to trust in Him and to change your course. For some of you, it's still a long way off. Here's the thing. The farther off you are, you make the decision to take refuge, the less the consequences affect you. What's the Lord calling you to do?